Worship in the World is a screen-free worship experience brought to you by Downtown Church. Downtown Church is a community of unfinished people based in Columbia, South Carolina. We believe in asking honest questions while we strive to follow Christ within our own communities, loving people wherever they find themselves on their faith journey. Thank you for being with us today. reading today for this 
Sunday of Pentecost comes from Acts, uh, chapter 2, verse 1 through 13. Hear now God's word for us today. When the day of Pentecost had come, uh, they were all together in one place. And suddenly from heaven there came a sound like a rush of a violent wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues as of fire appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak in other languages as the Spirit had given them the ability. Now there were devout Jews from every nation under heaven living in Jerusalem. And at this sound, the crowd gathered and they were bewildered because each of one of them heard someone speaking in their native language. Amazed and astonished, they asked, are not all of these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt, and parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. In our own language, we hear them speaking about God's deeds of power. All were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? The title for today's sermon is Enormous Feet. Luke's account of Pentecost is a dinner party gone awry. You know how one person can show up and change the whole vibe of a gathering? Well, in this case, that person is the Holy Spirit. And she arrives as this rowdy, noisy guest throwing tongues of fire on people. And her presence allows a ragtag group of disciples to speak new languages. Many new languages. Luke doesn't say that in these languages they begin speaking about politics, but if it's anything like the dinner parties I'm used to, that is the next logical step. In the crowd watching this debacle, they are amazed Their first recorded statement is actually a question. And they ask, wait, aren't these people Galileans? Our modern ears are deaf to the not-so-subtle insult contained here. Said in context, they'd ask, how could a backcountry Jew like a Galilean be smart enough to know any other language? And we have to understand Galilee was way beyond even Samaria. It was by the sea and cut off from the cultural capital of Judaism. They had impure Jewish blood corrupted by the Assyrian exile and intermarriage centuries earlier. Their thick accents as they spoke Aramaic would cause any noble Jew of good standing to scoff. Folks in Jerusalem knew them as rebel rousers, revolutionaries who repeatedly had tried and failed to start uprisings against Rome. Are not all of these speaking Galileans is really a dig at the ability of those from Galilee to accomplish anything worthwhile. I was reading a story recently about a particular elementary school class in Anchorage, Alaska. The class was learning about wolves 
It was the 1950s at a time when humans were hunting and killing these creatures for no reasons other than fear and misunderstanding. So the teacher of this class had her students each draw an image of a wolf. The children took to their crayons and colored pencils, and before too long, the teacher walked around to see what had been created. The wolves in every picture had enormous fangs. Then a wildlife expert brought in a real-life wolf to the classroom. He began speaking about wolves, talking about their habitat, their familial structure, and so on. And the children were in awe by the animal. When the wolf and his handler eventually left, the teacher asked the students to do another drawing. The new drawings had no large fangs. They all had enormous feet. It's a bit ironic that of all the places Jesus could have gone to pick his disciples, he went to Galilee. And these same disciples, most of them rural fishermen, are now apostles called to apostello or be sent out to start the early church and to build communities of Jesus followers. Like nearly everything that Jesus did, it did not make much sense. Or maybe it did. Maybe Jesus knew the way that we as humans sin. I mean, he has a knack at subversively challenging the ways we hurt others. He knows our dangerous desires to immediately limit and categorize, whether it's people or even wolves. How we like to put creatures in metaphorical boxes, and from these boxes we discern who gets what. We develop hierarchies and ranking systems of worth. It can be as simple as ranking who I'd least and most like to be sat next to at a dinner party, all the way to ranking who matters enough to receive basic medical care and who does not, or who we will tolerate to see die in an electric chair or by firing squad versus who we will not. We subconsciously rank whose voice matters the most or what aspects of a person will define them. Will it be their skin color or gender identity? Will it be their criminal record? Their being a single parent, their disease of addiction, their place of origin? Will it be their fangs or their feet? We try to decide who has the power to be prophetic, to speak God's truth, who has the credentials to be the bearers of God's Holy Spirit. And for the people in this crowd, in this text, the Galileans do not stack up. When I first met Michael, he didn't stack up either. Something about the way he walked around without a shirt his body covered in tattoos, his numerous missing teeth, and the way he could balance a marble cigarette in his lips as he talked. I met Michael in Craigsville, West Virginia. 
I was interviewing his wife, Heather, who had recently applied for home repair through the nonprofit that I worked for. Heather and I were sitting around this little kitchen table in a 50-year-old single-wide trailer with her two daughters playing around us. And in comes Michael. He didn't say all that much, but he looked me up and he looked me down. From my initial glance, all of the warnings in my head went off that this guy was trouble. Even so, we signed a contract on their house and agreed to install a new roof, new siding and skirting around their trailer for the next five or so weeks. But slowly, that intimidating stone cold face of Michael's didn't scare me any longer. All summer long, Michael was a joy to be around for the staff and the volunteers. In his own way, he shared with pride stories of growing up the son of a coal miner in rural West Virginia. He came to our community cookout every week and he could not be beat in cornhole. He taught the volunteers how to use different tools and he was one of the kindest and hardest workers I've ever met. I initially drew fangs on Michael when I should have drawn his feet. And we like drawing fangs, don't we? It's the automatic assumption to assume the worst in people, to anticipate the ways that others will attack us. Like a seven-year-old lying in bed, scared that every car driving by is a car full of, quote, bad guys, unquote, coming to get him. And yes, there are so many awful reasons why that might make sense. It doesn't take much effort to see just how evil humans can be to one another. Whether it's binging a murder documentary on Netflix, which I know y'all do it. Maybe it's a lived experience that I cannot imagine. Or maybe it's as simple as just watching or listening to the news. But are we too fixated on the supposed fangs of wolves that we ignore their feet? Are we too brainwashed to try and read every book by its cover, assuming that we know someone's full story, that we miss out on actually learning it? Are we like the crowd and blinded by our preconceived ideas about Galileans or anyone who has a different story that we choose not to acknowledge the presence of the Holy Spirit simply because we don't think it fits? These are tough questions to answer. And any conversation around humans, trauma, and our ability to cause pain, they're riddled with exceptions and worst case scenarios that I will not and cannot fully unpack. But if we truly believe in the story of Pentecost and in the Holy Spirit's descent on all flesh, then to put any human in a box is to also try and cram the Holy Spirit in there too. And I just can't imagine the Holy Spirit working inside a box. 
just as she doesn't work in just one language, one race, one gender, identity, one denomination, or any one type of creature. For the summer, Charles, myself, and a few guest preachers will be exploring texts that exemplify the Holy Spirit's presence in all people. We're looking beyond the greatest hits or first chairs of the Bible, beyond Moses and Mary, Peter, and Paul. And we're digging deep into the subtle miracle workers who, from their positions on the margins, embody the good news of the gospel who from places where no earthly power has been granted to them are able to rise above and carry out God's work in the world. In the process, we won't be afraid to look critically at just what systems exist that put certain people and certain populations on the dangerous margins. Knowing full and well that the power structure of God is so incredibly different from anything we have concocted here on earth. Ultimately, all summer we'll be looking at the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, who, as we see from our text today, is a bit of a rebel rouser herself. Pentecost doesn't perfectly define the Holy Spirit or the way that God works in the world. And I'm okay with that. But the text does tell me one thing for sure. The Holy Spirit changes things. Changes us enough that we just might look for feet before we look for fangs. May it be so. Hallelujah and amen.
Spirit changes things. May it change us. May it change the way we see people, the way we love people. Go out into the world and love God and love God's creation. And may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds until we meet again. Friends, go in peace. Amen.